0: My name is Blake Holmes, and I too want to just welcome you here this morning. Thanks for joining us. And I want to tell you a little bit about where we're headed for the next six weeks and why we have chosen this particular series. But before we do that, I want to remind you of some things that Kyle and Mickey and I shared with you at our all members meeting. Uh, that we call All Hands on Deck a few weeks ago. We shared with you three kind of strategic priorities, three things that we're saying, hey, these are really important for us in the coming days. And the first thing we shared with you is the idea of strengthening our leadership team. And uh, taking steps toward that, we have introduced Ben Caldwell and Todd Anders as two elder candidates, which I'm really excited about. And um, in the coming weeks, we'll, I think, have more to share with you Um, about ways in which we're trying to do that. And the second thing we talked about was just reengaging our body back into the life and ministry of our church. We've come from kind of a COVID, isolated, separated world, right? And there's many people still online who are watching online who have yet to return. And we want to encourage them as it makes sense and uh, feels right for them to come and jump back and gather with us on Sunday mornings. And not only on Sunday mornings, but in community, right? We know that life change happens best in the context of community. And gang, there is no substitute for being together. Speaking and meeting through screens just leaves us feeling more isolated, I think, and frustrated so many times. And so we want to do everything we can to help you get connected within the life and of our church and community. And also, as Kaylee just said, to give you on-ramps to begin to serve because every single one of you has been given a gift by God. And when we serve, it not only blesses others, but it grows our faith. It strengthens strengthens our faith, faith and devotion to God. And so Kaylee was just talking to you about ways in which you could get plugged in and, and leading the way in this and setting an example for us. Last night, literally hundreds of women gathered at our collective event. And um, and Callie Nixon led the way, she and her team, and they talked about how to be unleashed in serving across our city. And they talked about the fears and insecurities so many of us have and how to overcome those and and ways in which we could use our gifts to be a blessing, salt and light to those all around us. And so I really just celebrate their efforts last night. And then um, finally, we talked about the desire to equip our church for a changing world. It just doesn't take a lot to uh, notice and to recognize that our world, our society is increasingly more hostile to the, to the gospel message. And so we are um, kicking off a new series that is um, going to be for the next six weeks called Uncompromised. We've asked John Elmore to lead us in this series. I think you're really going to be encouraged and challenged. But let me tell you what we're not doing. Okay? The, the purpose of this is not to unnecessarily provoke or discourage um, those who disagree with us or demean anyone. We're not looking to add social media fodder, right? And just to add to the, uh, just the roar of social media that divides. We're not looking to divide over tertiary or unimportant matters what we want to do is we want to provide a biblical worldview. We want to speak into what the Bible has to say about topics that our society is dividing over. We want to talk about race and racism. We're going to talk about immigration. We're going to talk about gender and sexuality. Um, We're going to talk about the sanctity of life. We're We're going to tackle as a church some really tough subjects. And, um, what we want to do is we want to answer the question, well, what does the Bible have to say about this? And so we encourage you to come and bring your Bibles, a pen and paper, take notes, wrestle over these topics and these ideas, not offering, well, what do you think or what are your political views, but what does God have to teach us? And how can we, as Paul calls us, how can we be ambassadors for Christ? How can we represent him? In the last series we did, we talked about Romans 6 through 8, dying to live. And we talked about what does it look like to walk with God, to live a life of surrender to the Holy Spirit. We, talked, we reminded ourselves of what the gospel is and what it's not. We looked at our, the condition of our hearts. And, and now, over these next six weeks, we're kind of looking out. We're going, hey, now in light of this truth, in light of the gospel and who we are in Christ, how do we engage a world that is far from him? To be the salt and light that he calls us to be, to be the ambassadors that he calls us to be. And so I'm really excited about these next six weeks and ask that you pray um, with us and for this time. And, um, and if you're visiting with us, we're especially encouraged that you're here because uh, I hope that you're challenged and encouraged by the topics that we're addressing. We want you to see that God's word is true and speaks into every area of our life. Another thing you're going to recognize over the next six weeks um, is that we are going to stand together and to recite a creed. It is a creed of which um, Christians have recited in stating their, their core belief since um, literally the generation following the apostles. This is known as the apostles creed. And, um, You can believe more as a Christian, but you cannot believe less and remain Orthodox. And so in a world that is increasingly divisive and in a world where even within the church, there is disagreement, right? And there's temptations to be divided. We are standing as a church each week and going to say, hey, this is what we believe. Creeds are clarifying. They remind us of what is true, but they're also unifying. And despite the fact that there might be many things which we might disagree over, this we hold core. This we hold, uh, hold fast to, right? And this unites us with centuries of other Orthodox believers across continents, right? In different walks of life, this is what we hold to be true, all right? So I'm gonna ask you to stand. And if you know Jesus, I'm gonna ask you to recite this with me. If you don't have a faith, then you don't have to recite this because I'm not gonna ask you to say something that you don't believe, all right? But let's state this together loudly together, all right? I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord who is conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, was buried. He descended to the dead, on the third day, he rose again. He ascended into heaven. He is seated at the right hand of the Father, and he will come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Christian Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Perfect. Thank you.
1: Y'all good to be with you as always. Welcome here to Watermark. Uh, my name is John Elmore and we are starting off this series as you've heard called Uncompromised. My son was sitting in my lap the other night. We were, we were reading a book, my seven-year-old, he was reading it to me and he opens it and he said, "'Dad, do we have to read the <laughs> And I was like, no nah, son, we don't have to read the prologue." <laughs> It was a kid's book. I don't even know why there is a (laughs) prologue. But for this series, we need a prologue, a prologue, a prolegomena, a first word. We need to talk before we talk. We need to have a conversation before we have each of these conversations as we walk through these topics that everyone is talking about. We've got to have a first word for the church, for us as we engage in this. Why? Because here's the state of affairs. We are living in a pagan land, we are living in a pagan world. It It is become, uh, well it's not become, it's always been the case since the fall, since Adam and Eve partook of it, there's been nothing except pagan lands that we've lived in. And so this is it, we're in a post-Christian nation. Here we are. And we, as we uphold God's righteous decrees and millennium, six millennium of morality now, with a culture that has this ever-changing fluid morality, now as we say, hey, that fluid morality is actually immorality, they're like, You're the immoral one. You're actually the crazy one. We have become that as we uphold the word of God. That that we now, as we speak truth, these eternal, inerrant, God-given truths, as we share those in love, you are a hater. You're a bigot. You're discriminatory. How dare you put your little t truth on me as I live my life? And we're now the crazy ones. This is the state of affairs. And so why we are doing this uncompromised series is for just that, that we as the church would live uncompromised, that we wouldn't yield to culture, we would not uh, overcorrect and become so indignant in our righteousness that we're throwing stones at our enemies, which Jesus says not to do, but instead that we would remain uncompromised. And as such, as you just heard, the topics that we're going to cover throughout this today, truth and culture. That is uh, the starting point of this conversation. And then after that, we'll do law and religious liberty, sanctity of life, Sexuality, gender, race and racism, immigration, international persecution, that's where we're going to be going for the next six weeks today included. And so as the world is pressing for conformity by all, and that is what the world is pressing for, and I don't have to tell you that, you know this, you know that when we step out of line, the world is like, get back where you're supposed to be. You do what we say. There is, uh, this is all over my house, all day, every day, Plato. There's always Play-Doh in my house. I come home from work, it's there with all the Play-Doh accoutrements. And what the world is, is saying is, uh, hey, you, you conform to us now. You shape to us. And so um, my, my feeling toward another individual is my gender. You, you just need to remove that part. That, that doesn't belong here. You, because you are white, you're actually inherently racist. So there's that. Um, You need to yield to whatever we say because that is the norm and the reality, and so um, we're gonna do what we want to do. This is my body. How dare you put your Christianity on me and say that, that Jesus is the only way? Do you realize the hatred? You're saying I'm going to hell? Because of that, and, and you, just, you just conform to us and everything's gonna be okay. But the Bible doesn't say that. Uh, my, my five-year-old daughter, she gave me this. It's okay, you can laugh. She was like, here, Daddy, I made you something. I'm like, where am I gonna put a ceramic dolphin, Penny? <laughs> like, I, thanks, but no thanks, but she's, but she's five, so I had to. Of the two... Like this this can't be shaped anymore. This has undergone a metamorphic change. Meta, change, morphe, form. It has now been changed altogether. And no matter what I press upon this, it doesn't change, which is exactly what Scripture says in Romans 12.1. It says, I appeal to you, brothers, by the mercies of God, listen, to present your bodies, your entire holistic self, as a living sacrifice, holy, meaning set apart entirely unto God and acceptable to God. Why? This is your spiritual act of worship. The word spiritual there, the Greek word is logikos. Sounds a lot like logical. He's like, in light of God's mercies, because he saved you, you now give your whole self over to God. This is logical. This is your spiritual act of worship as you walk through this life. Why do we do this? Do not, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. We're not but rather be transformed. This this is now this, because we've undergone a change. We were this. We were this flimsy, floppy, dead in our sins, conformity. And now we have undergone this change in Christ where we do not conform, but rather we've been transformed, metamorphic, transformed by the renewing of our mind according to the word and the spirit of our God which dwells in us. That's what we do. And also, it says that we are to be ambassadors. Now, when you think about ambassadors in in all the different hundreds of countries that they're in, 100 plus of, of U.S. ambassadors, they're not there fighting wars. Ambassadors don't fight wars. Rather, they are embedded in the culture. They live there. They eat there. They befriend there. They celebrate their holidays there. They are embedded within the culture and... They're influencing the king of the land and the people of the land, the legislators of the land and the people of the land and the authority of the land. That's what an ambassador does on behalf of the king. They're not fighting wars, but they are influencing all day, every day by their sovereign. It's what they're appointed to do. And so we have 2 Corinthians 5.20 where it says that we are Christ's ambassadors, that he sent us forth into these dark Pagan lands, no surprise, to be a representative on behalf of him. Not to be a cultural warrior, but to be a Christian influencer and ambassador. Also, you need to know that my difficulty in writing this message had nothing to do with writing the message. My difficulty had to do with the scriptures that are so full of everything that has to do with God's people living in a pagan land. Like, this isn't new where we are here in the United States, in the continent of North America, living in 2021. There's nothing new about this. This book, this Bible, is all about God's people in a pagan land. And so you've got Moses writing in the ancient Near East as they're wandering and conquering enemy lands. And he's writing to them, this is what truth is. This is orthodoxy. Then you've got prophets that are writing as they've been exiled to Babylon, some like left and gone for dead in Assyria. They're writing to the exiles in pagan lands. This is how God's people live. Then you've got the New Testament writings given to the church as they're living under like pagan Roman emperors who thought they deserved the worship as gods. This is all God does, because what else is he gonna choose? Unless you make your own jam and drive a wagon, you're living in a pagan land. Shop at the Amish. <laughs> They've got their own <laughs> pagan system. I think it probably looks like legalism. And anyway, so two reminders before we begin. This message is for you. It's not to reinforce any kind of like political leaning. It's not that you're a Republican Christian. It's not that you're a white Christian, a black Christian. It's not that you're a, a liberal democratic Christian. You're a Christian. This is not for you to take down notes that you can post and blast people online, or argue with the people at work. This is for you. That's why we come here to be fed, to be shaped by the word, molded in the image of Christ by the spirit. This is for us. Secondly, unbelievers are not idiots. They're actually incredibly smart. They're actually made in the image of God. And we are not to attack them. Jesus said, here's what you do with your enemies. You love them, you bless them, and you pray for them. That's your category for every individual that's not a part of the church. They're not idiots. And guess what, y'all? They're just doing what unbelievers do. The scripture makes it clear that, that unbelievers are under the influence of Satan. So go figure. They've got some opposing views. They're following a different leader, though they know it or not. Don't take my word for it. First John five nineteen. We know that we are from God, and the whole world—it's not a North American U.S. thing. It's not a Dallas thing. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Here's your part. You remember who you once were too. You didn't. You didn't come to the world and there at your mother's arm like you're a Christian. You were dead in your sins. You were a pagan. But we forgot that somewhere along the way, and now we start to despise them. You once were. That's Ephesians chapter two. And remember your destination. We know that we are from God, we're for God, we're going to God. Second Timothy two twenty-four through twenty-six. And the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome. I mean, we could stop there. Must not be quarrelsome. But think about this with the with the topics of the age. But kind to everyone, able to teach. So you aren't to be silent. You're an influencer. Able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. You're not to just roll over and compromise and be like, well, you got your truth, I got mine, and I'm going to heaven when I die, and you're going to hell, and so be it. Correcting opponents with gentleness God may perhaps, why, why, so we win arguments? No, God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth which is Christ that they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Unbelievers are doing the will of Satan unbeknownst to them, he's puppeting them. Don't be mad at them, love, pray, bless them, correct them with gentleness. Hmm. This is your litmus test for interacting with unbelievers. 2 Timothy 2, 24 through 26. That is the litmus test for your social media. That's the litmus test for the conversation with your coworker. That's the litmus test when you go into the school board meeting. That is your litmus test that everything needs to filter through that. I'm going to jump here. I want, I want to consider some of the recent headlines. This, this is, uh, many of these are just from this past week which is shocking, 20 years ago, you would not have had one of these headlines, now there is a landslide. As you read the headlines, here they are. If you protest at a school board meeting, if you say, I don't like the curriculum, I don't like the direction we're going, if you protest, according to Attorney General Merrick Garland, you now may be given charges of domestic terrorism and hate crimes, not like, I mean, like, not like, not like uh, uh disturbance of peace, a misdemeanor, but domestic terrorism. I'm like, okay, hey, A.G. Garland, um, I just want to make sure Antifa and the KKK are still on your radar, because now you're coming after parents and school board meetings. We've got the vaccine mandate to coming down to uh, businesses 100 plus, OSHA's getting involved in this now, and it's not an anti-vax, vax conversation, that's not it. But this is big government now saying, this is what you will do with your body. Gender. We've got university teachers being uh, put on disciplinary charges or fired for not using the preferred pronoun of a student, which seems to change based on the day. Or deadnaming them, calling them by their legal name rather than their preferred name of Starlet or whatever it may be. They can be fired for that. The National Sex Education Standards for Public Schools, they now have this shameless, uh, just like brazen gender inclusivity that is teaching children how to masturbate, how to get an abortion, how to appropriate abortion medications without parental consent and all the different things, Uh, This is also uh, giving them instructions on all sexuality, pansexuality, and this is now school curriculum. We're no longer teaching sex ed, like the mechanics of it all. Now we are instructing children how to sin. High school sports we've got girls competing against biological men, now trans females. And just this past Tuesday, uh, DC Comics released that in their next edition, next month, Superman will be Bisexual. And, this is amazing, in the, no, in the month following, after the bisexual edition, in the month following, Superman, uh, I'm going to read it to you because this is straight from DC Comics, he mentally and physically burns out from trying to save everyone that he can. That's amazing. He's no longer super, he's just man. And that might not last long either. Race and racism. Critical race theory and their attempts at national deconstructionism. You got Black Lives Matter, which is right in the sense of the value of life. They are right, created in the image of God, value of life, and dead wrong in the deconstruction of the parental system that God has ordained. And by saying that all are now racist by birth because of it, and forwarding a trans and gay agenda, which is straight from BLM.com. Immigration. We've got 200,000 plus migrants at the border. What are we doing with that? Who gets in? How do we treat them once they do? What do we do in the resistance uh, against all the international persecution that's happening in the world? Sometimes, like, this isn't even on our radar because we're Americans. We have no idea what persecution is. One out of eight Christians in the world will be persecuted. Here's a statistic. One. In, this is Forbes magazine. This isn't like This isn't somebody cooking books to try to come up with the Christian stats. Forbes magazine, one in 13 Christians will die today. One in 12 churches will be attacked today. We've got immigration, international persecution, 18 states have legalized marijuana, 13 more have decriminalized its use. Instagram, Facebook has said, we cause problems for one in three girls with body image issues. Instagram. Parent company Facebook, we are the cause of this. Suicide is related as well. The satanic temple is now suing the state of Texas for infringing upon its ability to perform ritualistic abortions according to their faith due to our heartbeat law. That happened in the last couple of weeks. The heartbeat law and abortion laws potentially being transferred from the Supreme Court federally back down to the states. That will be decided December 1st and following as they hear arguments. Right now there's a stay of judgment because the heartbeat law at six weeks out of Texas. And here's the worst headline. This is the worst, you think like what I just read was bad? Here's the worst. One half of teens are looking at porn. That sounds bad? Here's worse. Two thirds of men are looking at porn. And one fifth of women in the church. Those statistics are not of the world globally. Those statistics, per covenant eyes, are of the people in the church. Some of y'all need to have a conversation on the way to Lubies. I wanna show you a video. This is my three-year-old son. This is Judd. Judd's a tough kid. Uh, this is a video of Judd, and I think it depicts what this feels like as we're walking through life with this ever changing fluid morality. So, here you go. This is probably what you feel like. Yeah, okay. okay, keep your hands in front of you. Otherwise, you'll smash into a window. Good. Good. Oh, I, can't find my back home, I can't find the neighbor. Okay, this one. This one. Are neighbors Dad? Yeah? Oh, nope, dead. Yeah, no. Go oh, there, this one, yeah. way, this way. one. the neighbors? Oh! Okay, this one. <laughs> he didn't even cry. That kid's so tough. He's like, boom. Where are the neighbors? <laughs> My boy, you're gonna make it. Uh, this isn't a very encouraging state of affairs, is it? Y'all, that was from the last like week or two of headlines. But let me change your perspective. I think it's an incredibly encouraging state of affairs, not because of the normalization of sin. I have no desire for sin to become normalized, institutionalized, legalized. My desire is to see the unifying, purifying, and clarifying of the church. We have become a tree without wind. And let me explain to you. It was called Biosphere 2, the Earth being Biosphere 1, man-created Biosphere 2. It's out in Arizona. It's this perfect climate-controlled environment. Like Think like huge greenhouse that eight people went into and they lived there. And there was a coral reef and there were plants and there was farming and they lived there to prove that they could live in this little existence, this perfect little biodome. And then two years in, what they found were the trees were growing really fast. I mean, think about it. It's a greenhouse. They're growing really fast. And then all of a sudden, boom they would just straight up fall over. A tree would collapse, why? Because it didn't have wind. And the wind, What the wind does to a tree is it creates what's called stress wood. Stress wood is as a tree is getting pushed kind of all day every day in every different direction, it becomes incredibly resilient. It becomes strengthened so that it can withstand more. The other thing that it does is it will position itself to the sun to get more and optimal sun absorption. That wasn't happening in this little climate-controlled area. And the other thing that it does is those roots, as the wind push, will go deeper and deeper and deeper almost imperceivably slow as they feel the resistance to grab hold of the strengthening in church. We have been a church without wind for probably like 200 years and we've become fat and lazy and entitled. And now as these cultural winds are blowing, I'm not worried because the church isn't going anywhere. The church will be strengthened You see this whenever you've got somebody that goes off to a public school or a private school, like Christian school versus state school. The Christian school person, there's like so many shades of gray and like changing, like uh, compromise. You, You go to a state school, it's like you're either a Christian or you're not, and there's not a lot of in between. And if you choose to be a Christian, you're seen as like the bigot, the hater, the goody two-shoes, whatever, be like, hey, man, this, this is where I stand. I can do no other. I'm following Christ, and that's where we find ourselves now, and so I'm not discouraged. I'm actually encouraged because the church is going to be strengthened when it finds the stress wood, optimally positioned to get more of the sun, roots going deeper as we unify, and it clarifies. It will no longer be popular to go to church, but rather we will do it because of the Lord and where we find our encouragement to come under the elders, the word instructed by the spirit. And this news is not new. When the scriptures were written, slavery, child sacrifice, orgies, temple prostitution, emperors being worshipped by God, pansexuality, and Nero was lamplighting Rome with burning Christians. And so if we think, because we can kind of think like, oh man, this world that we're in, it's like, know, <laughs> like these words were written in that world, and that's good that's so instructive for us it's so good everybody loves the sermon on the mount sermon on the mount like we quote it blessed are the meek blessed are the peacemakers blessed are the poor in spirit blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness yeah. the most probably underquoted verse of that entire passage blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake we don't we don't really like that verse do we man i don't i don't I persecute like this is getting a little uncomfortable my, my beliefs are now infringing and incringing upon my comfortability. Blessed are the persecuted, for there's the kingdom of God. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kind of evil against you falsely on my account. Luke 6 includes, they exclude you. Some of y'all getting canceled, not invited to certain things because of who you are and what you hold to. Jesus says, You're blessed then, and that you should rejoice. You know what comes right after that? You are salt. You are light. Meaning, the reason why you're gonna be persecuted, the reason why we're gonna revile you, that you're gonna be excluded, is because you're salt amidst this moral decay. You are the savor in the bland. You're what's going to keep this wave of immorality from coming. You're the salt, the preservative agent, and you are the lamp on its stand. Don't put it under a bushel. You're to shine forth into the darkness and go figure that the darkness is going to be like, get your light out. Get your salt out. We don't want this. We don't need it. But Jesus said that's what we are, and that no one would light its lamp and put it under a bushel, and no one would If the salt loses its saltiness, it's good for nothing. This is it. And so therefore, here's 10 ways, and we're gonna roll through quick, 10 ways to remain uncompromised. One, speak the truth in love. What does the word ruthless mean? Just crowd interaction here. What does ruthless mean? Harsh, what? Savage. Savage, harsh, savage. That's ruthless. Therefore, if that's without Ruth, then what does Ruth mean? We we don't use this word. We say, man, that person's ruthless. We never say, like, dear Jane, you are so ruth. (laughs) It means love, compassion, tenderness, soft-hearted. Look at the word truth. In the word truth in the English language, embedded in the word truth is Ruth. How convenient. Therefore every time you speak truth it needs to have essential ingredient ruth in it your truth must have love compassion tenderness grace mercy soft-heartedness not quarrelsome kind able to teach those who oppose with gentleness your truth must have ruth here's a couple of phrases that i think are helpful truth without love is a nuisance This is 1 Corinthians 13, 1. He says, if you've got the tongue of angels, able to understand all mysteries, and you don't have love, you're a nuisance. You're a gong. You're just noise. Truth without love. But he says, alternatively, if you have love without truth, which is the way of the world, and frankly, it's the way of some Christians, as they're like, man, I'm just gonna love people. I'm gonna love them to Christ. Well, they're never gonna get to Christ if you don't share with them the truth. And they don't need Jesus apart from the fact that they have sin, and they won't know they have sin unless you share with them the truth. So you are not loving if you withhold truth, but rather love without truth is negligence. That's negligence. Just like, man, I love you. You be you. And they're barreling to hell. But you love them. You loved them on the way to hell. Hey, man, this is where I'm going to drop you off in hell because I, different destination. I'm going to walk you all the way to the door because I love you. Love without truth is negligence. That's 1 Corinthians 13:6. Saw Nate Grable out there. He's the one that pointed it to me. It says, love cannot, must not, will not rejoice in wrongdoing, which you can't. How can you rejoice in sin? Friends, this culture will pass. It will pass, I promise you. This will be a failed experiment. It it already is with the sexual assaults that's happening in transgender bathrooms. It is a failed experiment, it's only a matter of time. You know what's gonna last? The word of God, the eternal word of God that Peter writes, echoing the Psalms and says, the flower of the field will fail, flesh of man will fail, the word of God will stand forever. And so that's where we stand uncompromised as a a little ceramic dolphin. (laughs) That's where you hold the line on truth. But not just speak the truth in love, you've got to number two, live the truth in love. We were at a trampoline park for my daughter's birthday on Friday, and um, they brought me the the tab for the trampoline park, which are really costly, by the way, and it had a a place for a tip for the guy that was helping me, and he was helping me. He's like pushing the cart, scooping up old cupcake wrappers or or cookie cake and whatever it was, and uh, I'm like, tip, dude. You know what, let's go big, so I write it down, I handed it to him. I said, hey, I wanna, I wanna let you know what I left you. And his eyes got wide. And I think Christians, generally, leave tips that make people's eyes get wide. But not just love, then tell them the truth. I said, hey, Trey, can I tell you why I did that? He's like, sure. Why? Like, man, this is only my second day. He's like still training. I'm like, you're the best! <laughs> That's love without truth. Uh, now he was great. Uh, He was a new dad working at a trampoline park, four-month-old daughter. Said, hey, man, uh, I'm a recovering alcoholic. I was a drunk. Jesus saved me. And so now I live to tell others that, and that's why I want to do it for you because he did it for me. And so here's that, and he's like, dude, that's such a blessing. And we get to have a spiritual conversation because because of money that I'll never even notice that he noticed a lot. Well, I'll probably notice it, but. Society may vehemently disagree with your point of view, but they should never be able to disparage what you do. They will hate your point of view. May they never be able to disparage what you do. Meaning, you not only speak the truth in love, you've got to live the truth in love. This is 1 Peter 2.12. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you, and they will, They may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. God says, you know what's gonna happen? When I return, they're gonna be like, you know what, God? That person, I hated their point of view, but you know what? They lived godly among me. They told me. They lived away. They were the only one who told me as I was barreling forward towards hell. And they'll glorify God on the day of visitation. Number three, faithfulness, not followers. Concern yourself with righteousness, not people's response. You want faithfulness over followers. Paul writes to the Galatian church, and he says, if anyone shares with you a gospel other than the one that I shared, let them be eternally accursed. If an angel or even me share a gospel with you other than what you have heard, may they be eternally accursed, meaning condemned to hell forever. Now, that's pretty strong words because they would have been like reading the scroll and been like, uh-oh, hey, Jim, I think he's talking about you, bro, because <laughs> you were saying like follow Jesus and follow the law, and uh, I think you're eternally accursed, Paul writes, immediately after that, Galatians 1.10, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. Pick one. Please man, please God, please man. There's your choice. Faithfulness, not followers. In this day and age, man, that really, really matters. Number four, prepare to be persecuted. 2 Timothy 3.12, all, all, not some, not most, Not if you're living in Africa and the Fulani herdsmen come after you. All, Dallas, Christian, all who desire to live a life of godliness will be persecuted. So don't be surprised. Don't be discouraged. Don't compromise. In fact, remember that you are blessed and you rejoice. Jesus said that he came to bring a sword. He didn't come to bring peace, that as people follow Christ, There will be a division. You're either with me or you're against me. There will be allegiance and it will happen upon Jesus. Nobody's getting up in arms about Joseph Smith. You bring up the name Jesus with a Muslim, it is the dividing line. You bring up the name Jesus with an agnostic, it's the dividing line. You bring up the truths of scripture amongst this gender fluidity, it is the dividing line. And you follow Christ. It's faithfulness over followers and you prepare to be persecuted. I've got authority over my kids. That's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I discipline them. I feed them. I shelter them. I tuck them in at night. I watch over their souls. I make sure they're not playing in the alley stepping on broken glass, which they do. And it frustrates me because I tell them to keep their shoes on. Do you know that here in this church, Hebrews chapter 13, God has given us elders Listen to this. Think of the weight of this that are accountable for your souls. They're accountable for your souls. And so as there is going to be persecution from without, we run inside. My kids run back home. We've talked to them about kidnappers and whatever. If somebody pulls up and they offer you a treat or says, hey, get in the car, look at my puppy. Like, run to the house. That's it. And my son's like, well, what if I tell him, I know you're a kidnapper and that ain't your dog. And you're trying to treat me I'm like, boy, run to the house. That's what we're doing every Sunday in our community groups. As God, through the elders, through our community directors, through shepherds, through your leader of your community groups, through your peers are shepherding each other. We run to the house of God that may be cared for and loved. Prepare to be persecuted and run to the house. Five, suffering is sanctifying. Uh, Laura just finished her breast cancer treatment this past Friday and we're so thankful. Yes, and here's the thing, y'all, I, I, in three months, I mean, it's like sanctification and fast forward. I have seen her grow more Christ like, more just like open handed, come what may, uh, not ruffled, just steady through this furnace of affliction because it's what God promises to do. So the sufferings of Christ overflow to us. Suffering is sanctifying. As I said, we've been trees without wind. This wind, though it is bad, it's not bad for us. It's gonna be strengthening. The finest steel goes through the hottest fire. This is Romans five, three through five. There's tons of passages about suffering. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance. Endurance produces character and character, hope. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. Six, are you a lot like Lot? When I read in the Bible and I read the story of Lot and I read it again recently, I like walk through Genesis, I'm like, dude, this guy is kind of a dirtbag. Like, Lot's, like, not an awesome guy. Abraham had to bail him out. Then the, 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 the like, men of the city come because they want to rape the angels. And he's like, man, hey, guys, I'm going to keep them, but here's my daughters. I'm like, what, what is going on? And then, and then the angels are like, we got to go. God's going to destroy the city. And he tarries. He's like, I don't know, man. So the angels grab him and pull him out. And they say, run. And he says, hey, can I just settle in this little town here, Zor? And they're like, oh my goodness, what is it with you? Fine, we won't destroy that city, but like go and don't look back. And then he gets drunk twice and his daughter sleep with him, incest. Which by the way, nobody in their right mind, that proves the inerrancy of scripture. Nobody in their right mind is like, well, let's, let's write a book about our people group. This is our heritage, Lot. (laughs) What a great guy. Nobody would write that. It's God putting on display the sinfulness and the depravity of all mankind that everyone would be like, I need Jesus. I need forgiveness of my sins. But I read about Lot, and I'm like, dude, Lot is an idiot. So was I, and so were you. But then you read in Peter, and Peter, 2 Peter 2 says, And if he, God, rescued righteous Lot, greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. Wow, wait, there's more to the story here. Lot Lot was distressed by the wickedness? For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the days of judgment. Lot was grieved as he lived among them. We don't read that in Genesis. We read it in Peter. There's more to the story. Here's my question for you, though. Are you a lot like Lot? Meaning, are you grieved over the sin? Or are you just grumbling about their sin? Are you grieved over it, longing for their salvation, troubled by it? Are you just like, dude, I'll go, I know I'm going to heaven when I die. My bank account's good. I'm fine. Are you grieved by it, or are you grumbling about it, like, "Oh, I can't believe these wretched" and our president and this and that, and you're just like, you're angry. We're to be known not as parroting and and uh, bemoaning the bad news. We're to be known by putting forth, shedding forth, proclaiming forth the good news. But some of us are so caught up in grumbling that our grieving is not moving us to gospel, and we need to repent. Seven, win souls, not arguments. When when I look at the headlines, I mean, I was researching them. I literally, I'm talking to Laura, I'm like, good night. This is like, this is so heavy. You read the headlines and it gets you all worked up and angry and you want to get on social media and you got your echo chamber of all the same followers and you all just shouting the same truths and getting like fever pitch, worked up to this righteous fervor. And then I step into Walmart or a gas station and I see somebody of a different social class or a different race or whatever. And with just people and we actually love each other, and we can have a conversation. And it's okay, as we, as salt and light, move into that. We're to win souls, not arguments. Not here to win arguments. God put us here to win souls, which is, Proverbs eleven thirty: the fruit of the righteous. The fruit, what you should be giving off is like a tree producing life, dead being raised. And the one who wins souls is wise. Some of you are content to win the argument and lose the relationship. You're a jerk at work in your righteousness, and you may be right, but you're still a jerk. You need to be right and loving. That they would be like, I don't agree, but man, I'd like to have lunch again. Eight, forsake friendly fire. This is probably one of the most important ones. There's so much infighting happening and I mean Christian against Christian, friendly fire. And you know what, when, I mean, it's like, there's, there's homeschool, public school, and private school, and everybody thinks everybody's wrong. Hey, what if it's actually godly to do all three? What if the public school person's like, I want to be salt and light, man. I want to be embedded in there. What if someone's like, I can't put that stuff before my kids, so we're going private Christian school. What if somebody's like, I really want to disciple my kids, and I've only got them for 18, and so I want to do this and be with them all day, every day, because I want to shepherd their souls. That's awesome. Those are all three so good. And we fight against each other about matters of the conscience, and it shouldn't be forsake friendly Quit condemning and quarreling about non-essential issues of the conscience and instead support each other. You want to be solved in light in the public school against the trends of immorality? Praise God, how can I help you as I homeschool my kids? I'm I'm serious. Romans 14, one through four. This verse, you gotta know, this verse was written as like some dude in a black hood is like cutting the throat of a cow, like blood spilled, worshiping some false deity while temple prostitution is happening nearby. Then the like, underlings drag it off, carve it up, and sell the T-bone for $3, a, three shekels a pound instead of 10. And somebody's like, oh man, I'm free to eat that meat. And another person's like, how can you, did, you, you know what's going on in that temple. How, how could you ever touch that meat? And they're like, because it's just meat, bro. And then one's like, I can't eat meat at all. I'm going veggies. Are you kidding me? I can't believe that either of you would even eat meat. Well, go Daniel fast. <laughs> Romans 14, one through four, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over dis- disputable, disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eats only vegetables. The one who eats everything must not treat with contempt, the one who does not. And the one who does eat everything must not judge, The one who does, for God has accepted them both is implied. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servant, stand or fall. And they will stand for the Lord is able to make them stand. Nine, do something. Just do something. Quit your grumbling. Quit sitting on the sideline. Do something. And this is not like bootstrap whatever. You're an ambassador. And ambassadors don't sit and just watch news clips. They're out there, they're embedded, they're influencers. And so some of you need to stop your fretting, stop your shouting online, you need to run for office. You need to vote. Well, that's novel. I could actually influence the country I live in. Wow, I don't know where my voter registration card is. Some of you need to go to a school board meeting. Some of you probably need to not go to a school board meeting. <laughs> Domestic terrorism. Uh, gently oppose those who. Some of you need to enlist in the military. Right now, there is an exodus from the police force. That's the Roman 13 sword of righteousness that allows us to sleep at night. Some of you need to go be the best cop you can be. Some of you need to become an OB-GYN, an influence on a medical board about life. Some of you need to disciple your children. You're up in arms. You're like, I can't believe what the public school system's talking about. And you're like, because you don't talk about it at home. Like, let's just be honest, what's, your actual, what's actually the problem is your kids don't know what same sex is because you won't talk about it because you're addicted to porn, and who are you? You got no moral authority, so, oh, and then there goes that. You just need to disciple your kids at home. Some of you need to disciple other people's kids. Sign up for kids ministry. Wake, Shoreline, I don't know what, UTD. But you need to do something. Engage the body, the elders said, and equip them. 1 Timothy 4, 16, watch your life and your doctrine. They're, they're inseparable. You can't just have doctrine and sit in your room and read your books and not live it out. It's life and doctrine. And 10, you've got to hold on. In college, I, uh, I was tubing, like, you know, behind a, a boat, Horseshoe Bay. There were girls. It was me and another guy, so I had to show them off. I had to show them up so he's pulling me tubing in the dark. It was nighttime. He's trying to throw me off to show off for the girls. I'm trying to hold on, of course, to show off for the girls. And it occurs to me mid-tube ride, I'm like, oh shoot. If I get thrown off, I'm stuck in the middle of this lake or they're gonna circle back for me and run over me. I got two bad options. My only option is to hold on, only option. And so I did, de- I like death grip. The thing flipped over. I'm now being pulled underwater, just like sucking in lake water like reverse enema as I get pulled, (laughs) but I'm not letting go. And they finally cut it, and they're like, swim in. I'm like, no, you pull me in. You hold on, Christian. In this present darkness, you hold on. You don't lose heart. You don't compromise, but you hold on to the cross of Christ. You hold on to the truth of God's word. You hold on to the hope that is before us eternally. This world and flesh will fade away. The word of God stands forever. Hold on to the hope which Christ called you. Paul writes and he says, not that I have already obtained all this or that I've already achieved my goal, but this I press on to take hold of the hope that which Christ has taken hold of me. I'm holding on. This is not the end and we're gonna make it for the glory of God and see salvations of souls because he will see us through. Let me pray. (laughs) Father, thank you. Thank you for these truths, that we're not left in some cultural morass to grope and find our way, but you have given us truths, all these truths that were written as people lived in pagan lands, because you want us to win souls, not arguments. And so, Lord, may we be about your business. May we be faithful ambassadors. May we forsake friendly fire, and may you be glorified. We know you're holding on to us. May we hold on to you. We love you. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.